welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. And this is the weekly Spirit Seeker radio show that is brought to you by Spirit Seeker magazine. Each week, we bring amazing, delightful guests onto this hour of inspiration and spiritual nourishment for your mind, body, and spirit, just as Spirit Seeker magazine brings this to you each and every month for over 15 years. We have... um, you know, a wonderful, wonderful, you know, list of supporters and people from all over the world who support the magazine and this radio show, and we just give gratitude each month as we bring both of these uh, venues to you. You can read this issue of Spirit Seeker at www.spiritseeker.com. We have fabulous articles ranging from the latest book by Marianne Williamson, The Law of Divine Compensation on Work, Money, and Miracles, which at this time, you know, when the world uh, challenges with with economics and everything else. This is a, a wonderful, wonderful inspirational book to help you look at things a little differently and tap into the, the good that is available to all of us. There's also a, re- a review of the, safe, uh, the new documentary film, Sacred Journey of the Heart. There's an article by on reincarnation from uh, Karen Berg, who is very involved with the Kabbalah Society. We have a non-toxic flea control for your pets so that you don't have to harm your pets by you know, helping them rid themselves of those little fleas that like to attach this time of year. We also have feng shui to enhance your Thanksgiving feast on and on. This is one issue of Spirit Seeker. Um, I also want to remind you that there are over 200 archive shows from the radio show uh, that you can listen to, to forward to your friends, your family, etc. And so if you're not able to listen to the weekly radio show live, you can always, always uh, listen into the archives. And I know that that's happening because I get the weekly stats. So thank you all for your support in every way. Okay, and this is Cindy Meyer. I am your weekly host, and I am the publisher of the magazine. And this, today, I am so um, excited that I am interviewing Sophie Burnham, who I ran into, you know, when her, I, well, I haven't met her until today, but um, but her works have been, you know, available to us. She's a playwright. She's an a novelist. She's a nonfiction writer. Three of her books have appeared on the New York Times bestseller list. She is known in the spiritual community for her book. Of, uh, it's called A Book of Angels. That's her most celebrated book. And she also has a new book, The Art of Intuition. So, Sophie, are you there? Um, hi, Cindy. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Yes, thank you. So, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, so you know, Sophie, you know, you were a, a little bit ahead of your ahead of your times when, um, you know, I, I read your bio and I started laughing when you were saying that you knew as a little girl, mm, I think I'd rather be a little boy because look at all the things they get to do, and <laughs> I'm not so. <laughs> and I grew up with five brothers and used to think, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> So, but but you know, so tell us just about yourself and and how that little girl who who looked at the world from a, a different vantage point 
way before women were independent to the level that you obviously are, uh, et cetera. So can you tell us just a little bit about what inspired you, how you how you became a writer, et cetera? Oh, wow. What a wonderful question. Well, first of all, I have to say I'm very, very, very old, and today nobody even thinks of that concerning their girls. They are automatically brought up today as I brought up my children, to believe that they can be anything they wish, male or female. And and this is just a wonderful uh, movement. But when I was growing up, it was before the Equal Rights Amendment. And we were told by every, I mean, not in words, but we were told by every experience that women stayed home and did housework and men went out and and had adventures in the world and had affairs and women were not allowed to and and <laughs> they came back and took care of their women who could not keep a bank account i how i started to be a writer i can remember very clearly being a young girl probably 11 or 12 years old and i was reading the iliad and because we didn't have television in those days, so you ended up reading. And I can remember coming to this passage that says there is nothing so glorious as to die the death of a warrior in battle. This is a, a nice thing to remember on this Veterans Day. And I and his name will ring down through the corridors of time in memorial because he was such a hero. They're talking about Achilles. And I can remember thinking, that's not what I want. I want to be the person who writes about him, like Homer. (laughs) And I can then sit in this chair with the tears pouring down my face, being touched by someone who wrote these words 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. It was just knocked me out. So I've been a writer all my life. I was born with a particular gift for the poetry and music of of words, and um, and I've been trying all of my life to write something worthy to touch the minds and hearts of people. I've been very, very fortunate, graced, that two of my books have changed the way people perceive the world. And one of them was A Book of Angels, which still I get fan letters from people saying, I thought I was crazy, and now I know I'm not. It's about the visions that we get, those little intuitions, when sometimes actual visitations, rare as they are, from angelic spirits or spirits of the people who have passed over ahead of us. And it made a profound impression on on the world when it came out. I've been so lucky. Well, and you know, uh, when that was first published, your publisher evidently thought, oh, print 5,000 copies and, you know, that would be... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think that it would do anything at all. And and they printed 5,000 copies because that would be what they could sell to libraries and they would make back their tiny little advance. And then people went 
by word of mouth, they found the book and they would buy 10 and 12 copies and give it to their friends who would buy 10 and 12 copies and give it to their friends. And it became a phenomenon independent of the marketing or lack of marketing, I might add, of the publisher. It was beautifully, beautifully published. Um, the pictures were beautiful and the paper was nice and the cover was magnificent. But they really didn't expect that it would do very well. And um, and instead, as I say, it moved people everywhere, all around the world. It's now translated into Chinese, of all places. 27 languages, and the most recent was in China just last year. Um, I'm so oh humbled and graced. I'm just delighted by it. Well, and you, you've also written a book, the, the Path of Prayer. You've written the Ecstatic Journey. You know, you you have your, you know, you've had your um, your creative, you know, brilliance go in many different avenues: fiction, nonfiction, plays. You know, who could have ever thought that this little girl who said wait a minute, who said girls have to be that way and boys have to be that way? I mean, you know, in, in all the ways you've helped people. But, you know, I want to go back to the, the Book of Angels because there are many people, um, as we both know, who are just waking up and are just finding their way um, to a to a spiritual journey, shall we say. Yeah. So, so please, like, you know, because, you know, don't, let's not assume all of our listeners know everything. Let's let them know what they will find with the Book of Angels and, and how, it, how it has helped so many. Well, the book was, like many things, an exploration for myself. It was an exploration because I was at one of those crossroads in your life where you don't know what you're doing. I didn't have a book I was working on, and I thought, all right, I'll just put down for myself and maybe for my friends all the magical, mysterious, impossible things that happened to me or to people so close to me that I know they weren't lying. I didn't expect that I would write about angels. I was just going to put them down and then turn them like stones in my hand and see what sense they made because I grew up college-educated, scientifically-oriented, logical, analytical, not believing in that the world worked the way it does. And and then it kept crashing over me with these perceptions. Let me tell you a story. This, the whole book of angels is just about stories. It's not about anything else. And one story is told to me by a friend of mine whose niece was an alcoholic, and for 17 years this niece was lost to the family. They didn't know where in the world she was. She was a drug addict, an alcoholic, and um, really on her last leg when this thing happened to her. She was unemployed and unemployable, and she was sitting in a restaurant wondering what she was going to do. She was now down to her last dollars. When suddenly she smelled her grandfather's cigar smoke. Well, of course, you're not allowed to smoke in, in restaurants and certainly not cigars. And her grandfather had died many years earlier in Norway. 
And just as she was thinking it, how amazing it was, this she looked up and saw this beautiful woman in front of her. The woman was so lovely that it caught her heart, and the woman said to her, don't worry about anything. Everything is going to work out. In a little while, you're going to meet the most wonderful man, and you will marry him, and everything will be fine. Don't worry. Tears filled her eyes, and she closed her eyes to keep this beautiful woman from seeing from seeing her emotion. And when she opened her eyes a second or two later, the woman had vanished. There was no one there at all. But a few months later, she met the most wonderful man, and she married him. And one day, she telephoned her first cousin to return to the family. And the reason that she did was because her husband was looking through his Dartmouth alumni magazine and came across the name of a man who had her maiden name. And she said, oh, yes, that's my cousin John. And her husband said, but it's been 17 years since you've been in touch with your family. Here's the telephone. Call them. And so she called them and came back into the fold of the family who were just ecstatic at meeting her again. Now, what do we make of this story? Here's the idea of life after death, her grandfather's smoke, the scent of his smoke, the idea of this angelic, beautiful woman who comes, gives a message, as angels do, because the word angel means messenger, and then goes away. And the message, as with all angels, is the message of hope and of protection, of loving care. You are loved beyond your wildest dreams. Don't worry, everything is working out the way it's supposed to. And then the idea that there's some kind of pre-described fate. In a little while you'll meet a man, a wonderful man, and you will marry him. As if it's written down in the book of her life on her birth. I love that story because it contains within it all the elements of all the things that we question all our lives long. I have now come to believe in them deeply, deeply. I'm, as I say, older now, and I have the experience of seeing how good life is, even when it's bringing you hard knocks. Divine order, divine time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just, it's so interesting. You know, the the Western culture, so to speak, you know, is it does not really necessarily understand reincarnation. You know, you go to the, the Hindu, you know, spirituality, you know, and, you know, in other cultures, shall we say, and they, they understand more about the soul's progression and, you know, all of the soul's evolution and, you know, some things that are written, as you, as you were saying. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, but yet we're not trained that way, you know, with the well, Western mind. Well, don't forget, Christ, at, at, when Christ was walking on this earth, people did believe in reincarnation. Remember that his disciples asked him, about the man who was blind or maimed, and they said, is this because 
of something he did on a previous lifetime? Or is it because his parents have sinned? And Christ said, no, it has nothing to do with that at all. I mean, they thought that it might have something to do with reincarnation. But the Catholic Church, or the Christian Church, I should say, wiped out the idea of reincarnation because the promise was that you would not have to come back to this veil of tears. And I do believe, Cindy, that some people don't come back. Some people come back because there's more to learn. And some people come back because, like bodhisattvas, they choose to come as teachers for other people to spread the light. And of course, the, the most well-known is Kuan Yin, you know, from and, and, and I didn't mean to interrupt, I apologize, but, you know, for listeners who, you know, bodhisattvas, um, as Sophie was saying, they've reached a state of enlightenment where they're finished with the earth plane existence, and yet, through compassion... You know, and Sophie, jump in if uh, if you you know if I'm not explaining this um, correctly. Perfect. But you know, but but they they choose to come back to the earth plane and still you know incarnate and still help others, like the Dalai Lama. Wow. And the story of the choosing of the Dalai Lama is so exceptional. You can't help but believe that sometimes there is reincarnation, mm-hmm. but uh, we don't know how frequent it is. We don't know that you always go up to a higher level. I think when I come back, I want to come back as a tree. (laughs) Very quiet, (laughs) very still, very silent. Well, and in the Midwest, it goes, you know, we go through all of our seasons. And, you know, my, my daughter is in Spain right now, and she said, the thing I miss the most is the changing of the seasons and the leaves because the trees know you have to shed and let go in order to embrace that newness. You know, once the once the winter and the quieter, more yin months, so to speak, where we go inside, yeah. um, you know, and then we may come I, back out. May I say something about this planet that we live on? This is a, a a special. I think that there are many mansions in our father's house. There are many many places that you would be reincarnated to or incarnated to as souls to learn or to teach, whichever we're doing. And we're often doing both at once. But this particular place that we find ourselves on on Earth is full of suffering. And part of what we're to learn here is compassion. And when I look around, I see how much spiritual evolution there is in the world, how beautiful people are. If only they knew that we are just shining with light. And every time that you're doing something loving, this flare of light comes out of you. It's called an aura. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think we were talking about this earlier, the powers that you have to be angels ourselves. That's what we're being called to do, to love more deeply, to have compassion. And God knows there is plenty of opportunity for it. I look at the the results of the storm in New York and your heart just breaks breaks for the people and their children and their losses so 
that's a piece of what we're doing here. We're learning what it is to suffer. And we're learning what it is to help other people in their suffering. You know, and Sophie, you um, you were coming to Chicago. I want to mention that um, Sophie Burnham will be in Chicago on Friday, November 30th, uh, and December 1st. And on Friday, November 30th, you're doing a lecture um, from 6 until 8 p.m. And then uh, your donation... On angels. Yes, on angels. Thank you. And that's on the Friday evening. Um, And then on Saturday, there is a workshop from 10.30 until 2.30 on forgiveness. Which will also have within it some aspects of angels. But it's about, yes, it's about something more. It's about what we're called to and how to forgive. Everybody is always telling you, oh, you must forgive them. But they don't tell you how to do it. And so there you are with your resentment and anger and fear and uh, caught up in your, and you can't get get it out of your mind. You can't be free. So I'm hoping that the people who come to that will come away with some tools and certainly will have forgiven the one person that I'm asking them to consider in this particular one workshop. And it should be really fun. I've done these all over the place, and I just love it. And so do the people who come, because it's so much fun. Well, and I, so I just want to mention several several things, um, and I'll mention this uh, again before the end of our interview, but it's the Swedenborg Library that uh, is bringing Sophie to Chicago, and I want to give their website and phone number. It's the SwedenborgLib.org, which is S-W-E-D-E-N, B O R G L I B dot org. Their phone number is three one two three four six seven zero zero three. And everything, you know, is is right there on the website. And um but you know, Sophie, let's talk about forgiveness because, you know, you touched on it and I I think it's probably one of the um the things that right now with so much happening globally that, you know, forgiveness is very much um you know, something that, you know, so many people just think to forgive means that it says it's okay, which, you know, that is not. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between forgiving and condoning the action. You're not doing that. And there's also, as you said, this cultural idea among different cultures, forgiving is really, really wrong. They have honor killing. A girl is raped, and rather than forgive they kill the sister who was raped or or else they go and go into tribal vengeance that goes on generation after generation after generation or you say never again never forget there's it's really complicated in our culture because we're not taught how to do this simple thing and yet the point is to free yourself of hurt and anger in order to be happy. We're all supposed to be happy. This is about being happy. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, and you know, in life, we're all supposed to be happy, even on the plane of suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, enlightenment means lightening up and enjoying Mm -hmm. the journey. You know, and so many people think it's so much work. You know, I have to do my work. Excuse me. You're choosing to do your work to make the world a better place. It's it's all part of our journey. And, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know, you must interview many, many people, and you've probably noticed this. All the enlightened people that I have ever met, from the Dalai Lama to Bishop Tutu, everybody, they're always really, really happy. They're laughing. They're joking about, they live very lightheartedly. And I do believe that this is what we're supposed to do. And not not that you're insensitive to other people's hurt, but that we're supposed to be joyous. The healthy person is joyous, or at least have the tools to know how to get there. And so that's what my mission is at least this one weekend of telling you telling us about how much we're loved by angels, cavalries of angels coming to our aid and how much we can be free of our own inner sense of inadequacy or incompetence, the critical ways that we talk to each other. Sometimes the person you need to forgive is yourself. And so Anyway, I'm hoping it'll be really fun. And I I just want to share some of the diversity of the groups uh, with which you have worked. You know, you you've spoke, you know, with the and these are just a few, <laughs> just a few of Sophie's past clients, venues, etc. Where, you know, she has brought her wisdom and light to so many. The National Storytelling Association, the American Pen Women. You've been you've spoken at the Smithsonian Institution. You've been um, part of the International Monetary Fund. The Cosmos yeah, that was Club. a wonderful one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, they all wanted to hear about angels. Well, a in fact, audience of government employees. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's 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 happening every angle. You know, Dr. Bruce Lipton, you know, with neuropsychology and, you know, all of the different things, you know, he he uh was speaking at Stanford about how, you know, you can override with uh with consciousness anything that's in the DNA, et cetera. And you know, and, and this was after he had left teaching and then went out on his own and, you know, was writing his books and then he came back as a speaker and he looked at all these doctors looking at him and he and he realized that they you know, they're just not getting it. And it was you know, so he said you know what, I'm going to stop speaking because I can tell that this is not being well received. And he just, he said, so there you are, something to think about. And he starts to walk off stage, and the whole auditorium started clapping and saying, no, come back and talk more. So, you know, you, you know. You know, so here you are. God is asking you to do, to go into these venues where you're talking about angels in very unusual situations. So, so here you are. I mean, of course, you have the spiritual, you know, parts, the Omega Institute, Esalen, you know, um, Body and Soul Interface Conference. But you know, here you are at the Washington National Cathedral. <laughs> Just so. Oh, it's been a great, a great journey. Yeah. It's yeah. been fantastic, and I have met such wonderful people. Well, I invite all of your radio listeners in Chicago to come to the, either the lecture at the Swedenborg Library, the lecture on angels on Friday the 30th, or to the workshop 
we can have as many people as want to come. And uh, and I give exercises, and you choose one person that you need to forgive. I've done this workshop many times, and there was one woman I remember who said, the person I need to forgive is the American Indian who was drunk and depressed and decided to commit suicide, which he did by ramming his car into my son and killing him. And and it was interesting. In only a few hours, she managed to do it, to shift things around. I think of the Amish. Remember how there was a gunman who shot up a school, an Amish school in Pennsylvania, sort of like like the Colorado ones recently, Columbine. And what the Amish did, the first thing they did was to go to that young man's family and say, what can we do to help you? And the next thing that they did was tear down their school and move it to a different place and rebuild it so that it would not have the energy of that attack. And they spent the rest of their time working on helping the family and the young man who had been the killer of their children. That is just exalted. I don't think many of us could do that. We certainly couldn't do it without the support and help of a whole community doing it. But isn't that the way we wish that we could live? And they're not condoning the killing. They're not saying we, we think it's all right. They're saying... Take a deep breath. How can I love more deeply? Yeah, and, and, and it's like, and then something wonderful and beautiful comes out of, you know, this this incident where, you know, hearts are opened even more wide. Mm-hmm. You know, and yet, you know, I'm a feng shui consultant. So when you know when you were saying that, and yet they did not want this schoolhouse to be a memory of the terrible thing that happened. So they. They, you know, brick by brick or however it was built, took it yeah. apart and then started fresh, knowing that then that was, I can't was, you imagine know. why they didn't do that in Columbine. It seems so sensible. Right, right. So so you just hear amazing stories. And, well, I, and, I, and I can just imagine, you know, people, I'm sure, just feel so inspired and safe in your presence. You know, and the work you're doing is deep work, very deep work. And... You know, when you were sharing about the um, the young lady who had been afflicted with addiction and then smelled the cigar smoke, you yeah. know, that's the angels can, you know, can do that. You know, it's my understanding and my experience, you know, and with the work that I, you know, do, you know, personally, you know, people will smell like, I, I can remember one time, you know, the Divine Mother, they say when you smell the smell of roses, mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. know that the Divine Mother is there. And, 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 you know, the angels and spirit guides can do, you know, mechanical things. They can make TVs get loud, lights flicker, phones do funny things, you know, et cetera. Oh, in, in my life, it's been the water cooler many times, you know, the, it'll go glug, 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 right at that moment, you know. <laughs> you're like, oh, you funny little angels, you're just having fun today. <laughs> But, you know, but so many people, you know, when you're not paying attention, you miss these beautiful, you know, angels, just like the woman, you know, who closed her eyes and then, you know, the messenger was gone, you know. And and that's it. They sort of flick in and out. You're not sure if you really saw it 
did I make this up? Was this my imagination? And they don't always come as an angel in their own form or as a human in their own form. Sometimes it's a dream, an animal, a, an intuition. It comes as coincidence. It comes as uh, the little tap on your shoulder that says, go here, don't go there. We have within us the spark of the divine, and that's what gets tapped into. But always it's about the fact that we are so deeply cared for. If the voice is ever telling you, I wrote the, the book, The Art of Intuition. If you ever have an intuition that what you need to do is to kill your mother-in-law, it is not a true spiritual intuition. But if it is about loving more deeply or forgiving more or working on yourself in some way to become more aware of how you are blocking yourself in your in your achievements, then it's a true a true um what am I trying to say? A true spiritual gift. And we all have it. Everybody has these things. Sometimes visions, sometimes just little shudders. Oh well. And I have lots of dog stories too. <laughs> dogs. They seem to come as dogs. Let's hear some of those because you know that's another way. You know, you know, in feng shui we say if you want to change the energy of a home, uh, go borrow someone's child or their pet for for a day. Oh, <laughs> Well, because they come with you know that energy, that boundless energy and happiness and joy, and you yeah. know, dogs are happy, children are happy, and it just changes the chi or the energy immediately. Immediately, a cat will do it too. Um, I say I'm a cat person. <laughs> All right, here's a dog story. Here's a dog story. It happened on a Thanksgiving weekend a couple of years ago to a woman in Pennsylvania who woke up at about 2 in the morning to a dog barking on her lawn. And it continued and continued, and she finally got up to open the window and shot at the dog. And when she looked out, she saw because there had been snow that night, in the snow, standing in the snow, a little baby, about one year old, in her little nightgown, and standing over her, a beautiful German Shepherd dog, barking, barking. She couldn't believe what she was saying. She went outside, brought the little child in, wrapped her up in blankets, and gave her some warm milk, and, of course, the minute that she opened her door, the dog was satisfied that the baby was taken care of and trotted away. She called the police, and it turned out that the mother had put the child in the back of the car, sleeping, and gone back into the house to get the other child and then driven off to her mother-in-law's for Thanksgiving. Uh, mother-in-law was about 100 miles away and she'd gone around 30 miles when she stopped for gas looked in the back seat and realized that her baby was not there that the baby had apparently gotten out of the car while she went indoors and walked away so the police got everybody back together again and it had a happy ending 
The interesting thing is the dog had never been seen in that neighborhood before and was never seen again. Right. And there are just so many stories like that, particularly of the dog who appears, does his business, disappears. Never seen again in that neighborhood. Right. And it's just, you know, another messenger. Another messenger. Right, which and means they we needed a voice for this one. And the message can be received. Right. Right, yeah. the barking to to awaken, you know, to send someone to help this little child in distress. And, you know, and you can just see how easily that can happen. I mean, I I remember my former husband, um, you know, he had two older, he had four children when I married him. And um, from two different marriages, so you can imagine. But it is, and then I was number three. But, but, with the first <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had two, so, oh, it was a lot. Yours, mine. Well, no, it wasn't. I didn't have any. But but at any rate. But he told the story of one time when the, his family was, uh, you know, the two children were small, and he, they were on vacation, and his wife, whatever, and one went to the bathroom, and he was getting gas, and away they drive off. They totally forgot the child. You know, I mean, it can, <laughs> it can happen, you know. I mean, and you can see how a child so curious could easily, you know, oh, what's going on? And the next thing you know, here is this child out in the middle of nowhere but being watched over always being watched over and you know Sophie you you've been doing this work for for many years now and you've heard the stories and have you noticed that you know they say that the children that are coming in today are so gifted psychically and so intuitive and you know that that's a lot of you know your your latest book is about you know working with developing this intuition that we all have and have you just noticed you know with the children how how much more aware they are you know i think they are mm-hmm. but Perhaps that's just because I'm in such awe of the children that I meet. Maybe even in my own generation, we were intuitive and we didn't know it. I certainly remember what it was like when I was five years old, and I was deeply aware and deeply intuitive, but no one knew how to use the words that would allow me to develop it. I think that today the children are remarkable, absolutely remarkable. But the gift is that we have so much literature now that allows allows the development of this thing. I was going to say before you ask this question that there are still many, many people who don't believe in the spiritual dimension, who do not believe in any mystery of the world, the secular humanists who don't believe in angels and wonder how I can be so crazy. And and um, God forgive me, I just hope they get it. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, but I mean, the science... Of them, and we are living in a more and more secular society at the same time. I mean, the secular frees you from some of the dogma of of um, religion, which is not always the same as being spiritual. It frees you from the dogma and allows you to be spiritual if you don't have the language for it. So you're finding it, Cindy, through Feng Shui and possibly Reiki and uh, Qigong and (laughs) Tai Chi. Yes. And I'm and trained in all of them because I just love energy. Psychic readings, <laughs> all of these things, which 
when I was growing up, were considered uh, well, they were they were deeply mistrusted, mm-hmm. deeply mistrusted, and now they're accepted. The Eastern I mean, yeah, and much more so has been huge and yeah. very beneficial. Because, you know, Sophie, I started uh, holistic conferences in 1996. I did I did 27 between 1996 and 2012, and I'm now complete with that. I, I That was my gift, and, you know, but, you know, and this was in the Midwest. And when I started in 1996, very few people knew what Reiki was. And, you know, now we have Healing Touch, Touch for Health. We have, you know, the Qigong is, is oh, global yeah. Tai Chi. I do Tai Chi almost every Saturday morning, and, you know, because in order to do this work, as we both know, um, it's very important, you know, to keep our own energy level up and to do our own work and meditation and contemplation. And, you know, that's, that's you know, when we're when we're on the front lines, so to speak, and, you know, helping as many people as we can while we're on this earth plane, you know, the main thing is, is we have to, you know, keep our own joy level and our own energy field, you know, um, energized, shall we say. Absolutely. You know, and... Excuse me. No, no, you go ahead. My book, The Path of Prayer, I wish that it did not have that title. I wanted the title, When You're Hurting and in Need, because that book, which I still get a lot of fan letters and emails from, but it it wasn't as successful as the, the books on angels, but it's about just what you're talking about. It's about energy. And we are vehicles of energy, we human beings. We are filled with electrical energy. The physicists have demonstrated this now. And we can use it. Thought is an energy. And what you're thinking is what will manifest. We call it prayer. (laughs) If you're thinking with your mind and your heart and your whole body longing for something that is unselfish, it will come to you. You will you will get it. I was doing Tai Chi once and with a master and I asked him, amused by him, I said, Can you do that thing that I've seen in the in the movies or read about where you knock someone across the room with your energy field? And he said, Oh yes. I said, Will you do it to me? He said, no, I won't do it to you because I might hurt you. But I'll do it to these three young men who are my assistants. And he pulled them both up. And then he stood there, Cindy, with his hand outraised, his right hand, palm up. And these three boys, strong young men in their 20s, pushing on him on his hand. Well, obviously you can't all three push on one hand, but they're pushing so hard against each, you know, with each other, backing each other up. Their feet are scrabbling on the floor in their efforts to move him. And he just stood there very quietly, breathing, as if nothing is happening at all. And then all of a sudden, all three of them shot across the room and landed against the wall, (laughs) falling down. And he had shot his energy field out at them. By a mental trick, right? It was very illuminating. <laughs> to you know, the Tai Chi masters are just 
you know, and the Qigong masters, you know, any of the, you know, it's just fascinating what is possible. And, you know, and I've never been drawn to watching the, um, Oh, the Jackie Chan movies or any of that, but someone recently... Oh, but that's so much fun. <laughs> you know what, that's, but that's what I was told by, you know, one of the uh, the teachers that I brought in just recently, you know, with the conference, you know, in the summer, and he, he said, you know, he's recommended to all of us, you really should watch these movies. You, you, in a, and then and then Effie Chow, who was just named the International uh, Qigong Master of the Year and teacher, she's, you know, I was studying with her in April, and she said the same thing. You know, that was the month I was fortunate enough to see the Dalai Lama in Chicago, who just beamed, oh, I mean, just oh, to be in his presence. And you can feel his energy field oh. across the whole auditorium. Yeah. It was it's interesting. I actually, yes, I actually at one point felt like I was just totally not there. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't there. His energy uh-huh. field, oh, I mean, it was just amazing. And then the next thing I know, Sean Penn is on stage. And I thought, where did he come from? Because wherever I was with listening to him, I just went so far out there, you know, like like remembering. I don't know how to explain it, but he's fabulous. Oh, just, he's really, really high. We are We are lucky to have people like him walking on the earth when we're here. Yes. And again, you think how fantastic that he was kicked out of Tibet and could bring the learning of Tibet to the Western world. We can bring science and technology to them, and they can bring spiritual wisdom and understanding to us. And we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn. I have... I have some wonderful stories on forgiveness about the Dalai Lama, for that matter, and also Nelson Mandela. Can you imagine the the horror that could have occurred if he had not tried for reconciliation after he became the head of of South Africa? You know, we're it's very fortunate, just, Sophie. I know. I know. We're so blessed. So we have these human angels walking among us, and we have spiritual angels invisibly working in our lives. And most of the time, we think, we humans think, that we're in control and that if we work harder, we can do something when what we're being asked to do is to let go and trust and put ourselves in the hands of a higher dimension that wants so much for our happiness. And um, that, in a nutshell, is the teaching that I try to give. But um, it really is very much one-on-one. Very much one-on-one. Each person comes with her own or his own problem of that moment or his own hurt of that moment. And it's a small increments, little steps, beginning with forgiving ourselves. You know, Sophie, you've also worked with, you know, you've written children's books, you've written, you know, you know, fiction books. You, the, the, what is the book that you wrote for writers only? What is that book about? <laughs> that book is a book that I wrote for myself during a very difficult 10-year period when I could get nothing published. And I wrote this book to remind myself of what writing is about. What did the great masters do, I wanted to know, when they got discouraged? 
what and I don't mean just ordinary writers. I wanted to know what do the Tolstoys do? What did the Balzacs do or or Jack London? <laughs> what did they do when they the names that have come down to us through the years when people were not receiving their gift or when how did they get an idea? Where did they work? What did they do to jog themselves? Did they use typewriters or did they use pens and paper? So the book the book is about one part of it is quotations from all of these great masters that were done just to encourage myself to remember yes you just sit down and do the work and what happens the fruits of the labor are not up to us we just do the best we can and then the other thing there's this fragile little story that runs through it of what is a writer's life and and chapters on alcoholism chapters on on how to get started chapters on how to find um, find your voice it does not tell you how to write a sentence it does not tell you how to get published or how to find an agent it's about the creativity that everybody has within it and that is as apt for a carpenter or a blacksmith or a potter as it is for a writer. I'm, again, I wanted to call it not for writers only. <laughs> Creativity. Um, and <laughs> then you know, and then you switch. Does not necessarily get to choose the titles of her books. True. True, 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 true. You know, and then, you know, switching gears, and I'm just going to read this and then we'll, you know, we'll hear it directly from you, but you wrote the book, The Ecstatic Journey, Walking the Mystical Path in Everyday Life. And, you know, and then in this book, you have different mystical encounters recorded by everyday people, as well as saints, seers, holy men, and women of every faith. So you have really done a lot of studying and, and been inspired, I'm sure, by all of the all of the different, you know, you know, just look at the book where you put all the different sayings from people to inspire forget, you in your writing. In every case, I was writing the book that I needed at that moment. <laughs> there was we teach, in we the teach what we most journey, need to learn. Which, which again, I mean, maybe you're just uh, every writer is fond of certain books. I think that is a very, very high book, but it doesn't appeal to as many people as a book of angels because you have to be on a higher level to get it. I wrote the book that I needed to read <laughs> at that time. And uh, as with a book of angels, I needed this book that nobody had written before. And always, always, though, my work is about offering hope and experience and love and um attention attention to the details of what we're doing on this life on this planet what are what are we what did i get born for why am i here what is this about this is a weird place <laughs> <laughs> our earth school we are here school, why are we yeah. here this time around <laughs> exactly so the yes, listeners now i'm writing oh, short stories and poetry and i've never felt that i understood the short story form and i'm beginning to get it all of a sudden i can see it 
So I'm having a great deal of fun with that. I have a little novel that that completely breaks all the rules of my recent work and that I hope will come out next year, which is a love story but of two girls and their love their different love lives as told by their cat. And the cat is very witty, very self-referential, very disrespectful of humans, or two-leggeds, as he calls them, because they're so silly. No no self-respecting cat, for example, would care if somebody rejected him. She would simply turn up her tail and walk away and let him regret it for the rest of his life. <laughs> you missed out on my love. Oh, well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's full of, full of information that young girls need to know, for example, how to enter a room and make heads turn. <laughs> With so a quiet having tremendous fun writing. Just, just Through the nonsense. eyes of a cat. It's, it's not important. It's just fun. Oh, Sophie, you you know, you're fun. You know, when I looked at your website and I and I saw all the different things, you know, I thought, Oh my goodness, she's written plays, she's written children's books. You know, and then I looked at all the different groups, you know, that that you know, have been inspired by you, and you just keep going. And then let's talk about your horses. I know this is totally different, but you, what is the new thing you're learning with horses? There's a, there was a word I did not recognize. I don't know. I don't know quite. Oh. You're talking, dressage? Yes, yes, is yes, that, that it? is it. What is dressage? I was I given a, a great gift by my angels or by my, my beloved, the goddess, God, whatever we call this mystery. And that was, they gave me a horse. Now, I grew up with horses, but I never wanted a horse of my own. And the last thing in the world that I was looking for was to buy a horse. And since I live in two parts of the country, Taos, New Mexico, and Washington, D.C., I couldn't even figure out how how I would be in the same place as the horse. Well, it turns out that this has been one of the greatest gifts I've ever given, been given. And I have learned so much from my horse. Other people are given cats or dogs, and I've had a perfect dog and a perfect cat and now a perfect horse. And riding my horse gives me exercise, and we love each other as if she's as as fond and affectionate and bonded to me as I am to her. I would not have believed it possible. The horses I knew when I was young did not care for us children. (laughs) <laughs> so, this is just another plane of existence and I find myself so lucky so I do dressage with her which is a kind of riding that is very um, it's like ballet the horse must be an athlete they had it at the Olympics and you know who does um, dressage with her horses is Anne Romney Really has MS and who rides her horse because it helps her with MS. Horses are very healing animals also. They're, oh, they are. They're just amazing. You know, they've used horses. Um, there was a, a psychotherapist who wrote a book, It's Not About the Horse, and what they would do is um, 
people who had been, um, you know, wounded emotionally, physically, Mm -hmm. different ways, they would have them come to these week-long retreats, and they would choose their horse. And based on which horse they chose, and part of it was to learning, you know, to, you know, the clean, you know, keep the horse, Mm -hmm. you know, clean, Mm -hmm. learn how to bridle it, learn how to put the saddle on and everything. And they knew based on which horse vibrationally the person would choose for this week-long, deep, deep, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it wasn't about the horse. It was just about everything that went between the horse and this person who had this amazing relationship, you know, and learned so much about themselves through the horse. And I thought that was always fascinating, you know, when I read that book. It it was just fascinating. I have been on those things, and I don't know how the horses can bear the emotional pain that, they are healing. They have a way of letting it run through them without taking it in. And right. it is very beautiful. And there's something about grooming a horse that is a meditation in itself. One day I was grooming my horse, Spring, and I was working on her lovely hindquarters, just brushing her quietly, and she swished her tail and then held it around me in an embrace so that I was veiled in her tail. And it must have taken some muscular effort to hold it there. This was not swish, swish. This was swish, and then she held it there for a couple of seconds, maybe ten seconds, and then went back to her tail being in its normal place. It was as close to an an embrace as it's possible for a horse to do. Right. <laughs> they're just, they're, you know, their animals are, um, they oh, just... Oh, our animals are angels, uh, and they Right, right. They really, right. they deeply are. I know. They just and, and of course, love. everybody knows this. Even people who have been deeply traumatized by humans can have relationships with their dogs or cats or horses or elephants or whatever their animals are. I'm reading elephants. Uh, what is it, the elephants? Uh, oh, my gosh. It's the classic. It's the elephants carry water or the elephant water carrier. I don't know. I forget the I name of it. It's, it's, a, it's a fiction book, but it's uh, it's oh, about oh, this. Oh, I know the one you mean about the yeah. circus. Yes, yes, yes. And and I just yeah. read last night about the elephant that they said was like, you know, this dumb elephant. We got the the worst one. You know, you got the bad, you know, the bad elephant of yeah. the lot, et cetera. No, that elephant is so smart. And, you know, and, and you know, just looks a person in the eye, of course, only the ones that he knows can communicate, you know, and actually receive, you know, the wisdom from the elephant. But just, you know, when you were describing that with the horse, I was thinking exactly the the um, elephant with the veterinarian, you know, who was just so wounded, you know, uh, had gone to Carnell. I mean, I know it's fiction, but, you know, nonetheless. No, true. Fiction, I know. Fiction is truer than nonfiction. <laughs> There's <laughs> an emotional just... truth to it. In my book, The Art of Intuition, I have a chapter about animal communication and how to how to become a dog whisperer or horse whisperer yes, yes. and interview the animal intuitives. And it's so intriguing. And it's so wonderful to know that there is no separation. We're all we're all one entity and and um uh, Oh, I, I, 
I know. I get just, just too enthusiastic about it. I was, <laughs> I was okay, well, well, we are ending the time of our wonderful uh, hour together here, but I want to just mention again, uh, you've been listening to Sophie Burnham. Her website is www.sophybunham.com, sophieburnham.com, and there is a link to the lectures at the Swedenborg Library, but I want to give you that website as well, S-W-E-D. E-N-B-O-R-G-L-I-B.org. And Sophie will be in the Midwest. You know, as, as the listeners know, Spirit Seeker is a print magazine in Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, and now into Arkansas. But we are read online and um, throughout the U.S. and into Canada. And we're just very grateful for the opportunity to bring you, um, you know, the different events that are happening in the Midwest. So Sophie will be at the Swedenborg Library on Friday, November 30th from 6 to 8 p.m. Speaking about angels around us and then teaching a very wonderful workshop on forgiveness on Saturday, December 1st. So, Sophie, thank you so much for being my guest um, today. And, you know, of course, it will be aired on, you know, November 20th for those of you who listen to the pre-record. But I just, you know, from from my heart to yours, thank you for the work that you're doing and your enthusiasm and your your, your zest for life. Oh, I would like so much to meet you someday. Thank you for this beautiful okay. time with you. Okay. And um, God bless. Okay. Enjoy flying with those angels. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.